0: Hello and welcome to episode 247 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin. And uh, we're calling this episode Getting an Earful, which has a double meaning. Ooh. Double on the, on, Wow. I know. On the one hand, we mean an earful of music, and we're going to be sharing impressions of two music-themed games, the indie release, um, Tadpole Triple Encore, and the upcoming platformer that's set inside a musical ball in wonder world and on the other oh,
1: hand yeah i was gonna ask i didn't realize was a I it, it was music themed it is music themed should yes. be carnival themed
0: uh no but. it's all musical it's all musical it's a stage show that you use music well we'll get to it but so that's one way we're talking about uh earful things on the other hand we mean you know an earful from your uh teammate shying at you because maybe you messed up in a co-op game which i'm not saying has happened to me But with 3D World, Mario 3D World and its co-op-centric gameplay about to hit Switch, now feels like the perfect time to do a little co-op catch-up with some lay impressions of the Switch version of Captain Toad Treasure Tracker and its special episode DLC, where two people are actually two characters, not just a character and a pointer, and then we're going to discuss more broadly you know, our favorite co-op experiences and what we look for in a co-op game and all that. Plus, beyond the title... Uh, we're going to cover some Switch hardware news, the latest Ammo Crossing happenings, a new Mario 64 speedrun record, and the dissolving of Vicarious Visions by Activision, which was sad to see. So there are timestamps for all that on the blog post. If you're on YouTube, it's under the video. Um, the blog post is at RamTown.com. Forgot to say that part. Or, or if you prefer, we're probably just going to go pretty much in the exact order I just rattled off those topics. So you could just like jump – you know, just stick around and see it all that way any or hear it all that way. But anyway, how are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's
0: fine. I'm losing my Sorry. mind because I'm
2: stuck at Why home in quarantine. Um, if you listen to QC, you know that I caught the coronavirus. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And I, I know you're all worried about me. Don't worry. Don't worry about me. Uh, my family's fine. Uh, I came out positive on my most recent COVID test. So that was a bummer. So I'm taking another one on Tuesday, and hopefully this one comes out negative, so I can go back to work and finally leave my room. Because, oh boy. So what have you, if
0: you? So I'm, I'm I'm glad you're at least feeling okay and your family's okay. But what have you been doing to pass the time? Have you been playing anything? Like what, nothing. Are you that's by? the worst part. <laughs> wow. I'm just waiting. Yeah, I'm just true,
2: wasting my life away. No, that's not true. I, I did start a Coursera thing.
0: So I can at least learn something. Mm. That that's useful because I was gonna say yeah. Looking, I just realized all the games that rattled we were talking about stuff. So none of them are from you. So yeah, yeah none of them are for me. Yeah, I, I. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's well. I hope uh, I hope come Tuesday or by the time people maybe hear this, you're already negative again. Well, yeah. Hopefully about, crossed.
2: Yeah. Tuesday supposedly Apex Legends finally launches on Switch. So I might get that yes, a bad shot. Yes, that's
0: a rumor. Yeah, Season 8 is apparently when they're going to launch it. Um, multiple signals from Japan that's going to happen, but nothing official yet. So, mm. time will tell. But in the meantime, um, Angel, I know you you played something. We already said at the top, uh, that rhythm game, that indie game, uh, Tadpole Trouble Encore, uh, which actually I think, that was originally on the Wii U, right? Like, it's an enhanced port, hence the Encore, I think, right? Or was it Steam, or was it both? Or?
1: I'm not sure. Um, someone I know did mention that this... Um... Is a game that predates the Switch, and it definitely makes sense. It kind of looks that way, not necessarily like a really bad thing, but I don't know. I feel like because it's a port competing with pretty much a lot of you know modern indie games, many games have indie games have just gotten. I don't know. I guess to look. I, don't know, I guess I'll call them like they almost feel like dope, like not quite triple A, but. Just like double A in production value. Like, they just look like they could compete easily with them. I mean, just look at Hades, even though it's like a 2D, on like, pretty simplistic looking game. Production value-wise, it looks like... It just looks really good. It looks like if a triple A studio were to push, like bust out a 2D game, it looks like that could have happened. Or it looked like it could have been it. But this game definitely has that, I guess, homegrown indie game look to it.
0: To um, be f- fair isn't it like somewhat intentional because it's uh the brawl in the family comic art guy like the guy who draws brawl in, the Fa- brawl in the family i think he did the art for this so that might be where it's coming from at least a little maybe but i mean art style
1: side um i wasn't super like keen getting in like i guess learning about the game and like before starting playing it just because it well i do like rhythm games i i don't know My my favorite rhythm games are you know, rhythm heaven and lead beat agents kind of different style of rhythm games. I mean, you have your typical like tap or strike something to the rhythm of a track, or you know, or rhythm heaven where it's just kind of random, like it's just more like a little mini game, mini game more than, more so than a rhythm game. But this one kind of mixes both, and I feel like. It works better overall than it doesn't. Like, the only real downside to, I guess, its game mechanics is essentially you have, um, I guess sheet music, or it's just like one chord. I, you know, you have your, um, how does the acronym go? Um, all the cows.
0: No, no, no. Always oh, the acronym pack. for. For notes? Yeah, for
1: for the chords, yeah. Cause you know oh. you have um yeah, like, you have your four lines <laughs> and then in between each line you have also like another note. So it's almost like you have like ten lines essentially that you're working with. And you're controlling this tadpole that you can move up and down across the lines. It just dod- essentially you're just trying to dodge obstacles and survive and get to the end. But on top of that, you have these like pink bubbles that you can you can collect. There's like a hundred for each level and following them will keep you I guess will just keep you from running into obstacles because you don't ever really have to do anything to the beat of the music. It's just, it's one of those games where everything else is going to the beat of the music. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much exactly like um, NSR I'm pretty sure I talked about that here or maybe I said I was going to it and I never did. Because um, that one is like a you know third person action game where all the enemies and everything attacks to the beat of the music but you're still controlling your character, you know, normally as you would to your own time. And so,
0: yeah, you did. You did talk about SR, I think, in our end of the year episode. I think you picked it as your Switch game of the year, didn't you? Like out of nowhere. Maybe that sounds right. Yeah, but
1: but what Trouble does the same thing. Like everything else is going to the beat of the music you're hearing, the soundtrack, the obstacles populate and just and so yeah, and just do something to the beat of it. But you yourself are not. And usually i am a much bigger fan of games where you yourself have to tap or do something to the beat of the music, but to do just dodging obstacles if there's if all the obstacles are say like on the bottom half of that i guess of those lines I forget their proper name, you could just like you know coast that top, but luckily, like that doesn't happen too often if anything like the the themes for each level are just really interesting and really fun, like I really like the one of the more recent levels that I did, I am almost done with the game. I, like, Ob beat it. Because, it's, it's addicting. It's short and fun. Like, um, the last level was then, you have to, like, dodge this piranha that, essentially, you're being chased by, like, I think it's five piranhas. And, you know, as you're just moving up and down, dodging the obstacles that you would have to dodge anyway, you're also dodging the piranha from behind, because they're chasing you. I just smacked the microphone. And, if, <laughs> and then at some point, they, like, turn... Well, I guess they form the shape of a gun and they fire themselves at you. So you have to, you know, kind of position yourself so that they're going to fire somewhere that you won't need to escape to just to make it, you know, easier. There's like some planning ahead to it. Plus, there's also another level where you're like being chased by Barracuda. That's another level where there's like another tadpole that's like serenading you and you're like kind of following it, but it's like also trying not to die. There's like also just a bunch of interesting little hazards just to, you know, just to keep the gameplay from simply being moving up and down. But you, uh, I guess it's just something you have to get used to. But um, I mean, once I did, I I mean, I did end up like enjoying it. But I, I just kind of wish there was a more, I guess, intuitive way of controlling it, because it feels like a game that kind of screams to be like on a touchscreen, and. I actually didn't try if
0: you could just use a touchscreen on the on switch handheld mode, but actually that that you... makes sense if it was since it was. I guess, I guess that confirms my was it a Wii U game? Yes, there you go. It was built for a touchscreen, probably.
1: Yeah, because you know you literally just controlled the fish by moving up and down. So if you're so if, you, so if you have like I don't know the top four rows, spikes are coming at you, and you have to go down, but then. The only way to dodge the spikes, you have to go to, like, the third to the last line on the bottom. Like, if you hold down, you know, it's kind of hard to, I guess, exactly time when you're going to release it because the fish doesn't move that fast up and down. Like, it moves just lower than you think it does. So, I sometimes when I have to do, like, a bunch of, like, crazy up and downs and up and downs to dodge the obstacles, I usually end up hitting them anyway because it's kind of... It's really easy to overshoot. It's, yeah. Overshoot or undershoot for that matter. And, I don't know, it it feels like it's so close to being, like, I guess perfect as far as, like, a rhythm game goes. But that, control-wise, just, like, it just didn't fit perfectly. But, you know, it's still fun enough that I'm just gonna, I'm still gonna complete the game. Like, I'm enjoying it that much. But I guess, like, it's something like that that's probably gonna keep me from you know, returning to levels to try to get a perfect score. It's more mm-hmm. like, I feel like I'm probably just going to beat it, and that's probably be it. But, I mean, if you are accustomed to those controls, or you just managed to figure out the secret to always landing where you want to land, what I've been doing recently is just, instead of, you know, just holding down, I try to count ahead of time, like, how many spaces it is, that way I can just tap it that number of times. And it sometimes works better, but sometimes tap, but yeah, sometimes tapping it isn't as fast as just holding it down, so you still end up hitting the obstacle anyway. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation, but I think it's cool.
0: I uh I dug out so just I don't think we just closed, we got this as a review copy from um I guess the PR firm that's helping with the game. And uh I dug through their materials and yes, it was a Wii U game originally. It is the Brawl in the Family Art guy. And um it doesn't. Say doesn't it doesn't work. It does. It does. It doesn't say if there's touch controls. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. Interesting. No, it doesn't.
1: You could control the menus with it, which is interesting.
0: But you can't play the actual game with the touchscreen. Huh. That's kind of surprising. One. Actually, one other thing that now that I'm looking into materials, this is something I wish more games did. Apparently, Andrew, I don't know if you did it. Did you unlock the developer commentary for each level? I thought there is developer commentary. I think I unlocked I, it for one of the levels, but I that's really think cool. that's cool. I want more games to do that. Like. I, I Obviously it's hard – like something like this I imagine because you're just kind of writing the sheet music and it's very linear and structured. It's probably easy to overlay like commentary. But I wish more games did that. Like it would be cool if you know, you're playing like Mario Odyssey or something and there's like those little goggles you can look at to like scope out the world. Like actually like trigger some like spiel from the developers for a couple minutes about how they design oh, yeah. the, the world or something. Like I get most games can't – they don't have like a set narrative or progression so you can't do it like a movie. But like I wish – it's cool to have commentary trouble, it? in the
1: game. It's something that, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. Portal like 2 I,
2: has an excellent excellent developer commentary for the entire game. Yeah. I, 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 I
0: thought like, really en- like
1: listening to those?
2: Is it like if as it, you
0: it, enter each room, it starts the next wave of the No, it no, yeah, Like, how's it, work? Yeah, but, uh, is yeah, is it
1: isn't it? Th- no, it's um what well, kind of like there's, like giant like a commentary icon. Like, just on the oh, wall, you just, like, walk right, over it, right, yeah. and, when, and when you walk over it, it just triggers it. So so I after had the Mario Odyssey get... idea I
0: had, except Yeah, but instead of a, yeah
1: just practical, because <laughs> you don't have to, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. anything. You just, like, walk over it, and then it just starts talking. But that's something you have to, like, activate outside of, the, like, in the outside menu, so that way you don't, you know, just get annoyed by it. Right, but, right. Yeah very quick cool just getting an insight into it like oh we actually had planned a completely different level to this one but due to budget constraints we ended up going with this or something like that
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did you did you try the uh again i'm just scanning over there press release did you try the composition mode at all is that I, did. I do it, it how it, is it be... is it more like mario paint or more like SimTunes? i don't know if that analogy works for you did you replace play Simtunes? Uh,
1: It's it's definitely more like mario paint because i don't know what you're talking about for the other one <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I should explain SimTunes. Um, so SimTunes, do I what have to? Yes. Uh, so SimTunes, I love this thing as a kid. But basically, like, well, i well, first, I guess talk about what Tadpole Trebles composition mode is like, and then I I can contrast it. That might work better. Is it just uh, like it's... you just place notes, or how's it work? Yeah, that's
1: pretty much it. I mean, you just you already have the, I guess the chords already laid out. Just all the lines are ready. And the only thing that I kind of wish it did a little better, or maybe it's too hard to ask right now, but um, actually, yeah, it is. Essentially, I would have liked it if um they don't give you literally everything right off the bat, because it just comes off as extremely overwhelming, like, Mm. because you have no idea, like, what does what. So, you know, it's obviously one of those things where you're definitely encouraged to beat the game first. That way you... See everything in action because just going into it right off the bat, like I have no idea if some of these things are like collectibles or obstacles or anything. But everything is pretty much laid out on the screen, which just makes everything feel like really busy. But yeah, it's like your your eyes is drawn to everything, so it's kind of disorienting. But I'm sure it's just gonna be one of those things that you're just gonna have to like stay at it for a long time until you get used to the location of everything. It feels like kind of like looking at Maya for the first time, where it just looks intimidating and you don't really want to mess with it. But once you're at it for a few months, you realize that oh, it's not that bad.
2: That's like me uh, into Unity engine. I was like, I, I, let me see if I can make a game real quick, a a small (laughs) little game. And I opened up Unity and I said,
0: okay, yeah, no, this is not gonna (laughs) fly. So, so, um, Andrew, I guess that means it has all the instruments laid out and everything. You just drop them in, but it's just all the options at once and it's just intense. Yeah. Cause you yeah, um, had Cause what SimTunes did, which I thought was very really cool. Now this is a game that is on like PCs and I don't know. I think it's a support of like Windows 95 or something, 98. Like it's old, but what it did as very really cool is, uh, the instruments weren't what you placed on the screen. What you placed on the screen were, um, basically the like note progressions in the form. So you had a pencil. And you drop colored blocks. And instead of, you know, having sheet music you lay objects on top of, you're placing the blocks that represent each note, and then you're running an instrument on top of those blocks. So a given color is a, uh, of a block is a given note. So like, you know, green may always be C sharp or whatever. And you can place them wherever you want, and then you have these little bugs that represent each instrument travel along the paths, and there's special blocks you can use to loop the bug back, or change their tempo, or send the bug in different directions. And ultimately what you were doing was drawing your music so you were making art like you could draw like it was like a paint program but then you could run these bugs on it and depending on which colors you use and which blocks and everything that's what made the music so it's both visual and audio it wasn't just like a simple here sheet music throw things on top It was like actually a whole other thing uh. that was really cool i wish like somehow that lived on i'm i don't think as an adult now i'm i have that creativity to do that but when i was a little kid i loved it and i feel like like the first thing when I saw Tadpole Trouble Encore, um, you know when the trailer I mean, the and the code came work in
1: for the for the level maker, so that is a good thing.
0: That's a good make thing, that but lot yeah,
1: easier.
0: yeah, yeah. But the the first thing I um when I saw Tadpole Trouble, I was like, oh my god, the little like tadpole that's riding the sheet music reminds me of the little bugs that ride the notes in Simtunes. So I was in the back of my, head, I was like, oh come on, please tell me they somehow copy the Simtunes. i didn't think they would you know composition process but if they ever want to do a sequel i'm just saying Simtunes hidden little gem from like 1994 so just throwing it out there
1: um i mean some of the little obstacles are assigned instruments that you can you know use it to i guess you can literally like i guess create your own music or just like copy sheet music from <laughs> online just if you want to hear you know i think like song of storms or something it's like an easy right, one that a right. lot of people do but yeah, is there a way to so, share them
0: out? Is there like a there's like a QR code or something? I would imagine, right, to let people use your so. tunes.
1: I huh? am not sure. I didn't. I didn't really dig a lot into the the music maker.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Well,
1: the whole the I'm whole package. Sure. There, there, I mean, there must be a way to share. I'm pretty sure there is a way to yeah, share. So there's sure got
0: to be a QR code. But yeah, the whole the whole package um, is only nine bucks. Worth it? Is there enough content for nine bucks?
1: For nine bucks, yeah, I would definitely say so. Yeah. All right, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what
0: else you want to say like yeah yeah like, no that's it we're good for, yeah uh <laughs> for his press it's pretty robust so i guess since i was already opening the door of music games i've played this is where i would talk about bound wonder world but before i do angel was there anything else you want to say about tadpole Travel?
1: uh only thing i'm going to say right now is that in the yeah i guess on the switches library right now there aren't a lot of rhythm games i would actually recommend um like even off the top of my head like Just like a lot of them, just haven't really caught my eye. There just hasn't been like another Libid Agents or like another Rhythm Heaven. I keep going to those, or even like another Rhythm Thief. That game was also amazing. Like there hasn't been anything like that that has you know like that just like really like like I guess piqued my or broken my like favorite rhythm games list yet. So when I say like yeah, this is definitely one of the better ones. Um, I definitely recommend it definitely better than the i would say more fun overall than that other game i think it was called like something super sonic with an
0: x super super sonic zo, super sound zo, yeah something like that is that the one yeah. that was like 99 <laughs> yeah, yeah and then yeah it's I super sound sonic or it, something
1: it's by yeah. no means a bad game but it literally feels like a japanese arcade rhythm game that got the ROM, you know copy to the switch but you're missing the controller that would make this like really fun Mm -hmm. because playing it on just the normal controller i mean it works you're literally using every single button but i don't know rhythm games like the controls have to i don't know just feel fun and that one just didn't but it it just feels like it's missing something you know like some big gimmicky peripheral which would definitely make a big difference but for now yeah i would definitely put Temple trouble at the top at least from all the ones i've played guess there was a wait for those aforementioned heaven thief we'll have to wait sir yeah we just have to wait
0: but well, like a pretty glowing endorsement that's in the upper echelon because there's like 20 plus rhythm games on switch i think so you know being towards the top of that yeah just,
1: and yeah. we i mean actual rhythm and i'm assuming that means actual rhythm games because i mean nsr i can see people considering a rhythm game even
0: you know Though I right, wouldn't, right. and I mean, if, even I'm like losing the definition, using the definition loosely because I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk about a music game with wonder Wonderworld*, which, to be clear, isn't a music <laughs> game but a game set in a musical. So you know, like, there you like go. the definition of an actual rhythm. rhythm game. Yeah, can't trust me. I'm I'm a fraud. um But yeah, I guess I could talk about *Balan*. Was there anything else? No, no. That. Thank you. All right. So uh, I guess I guess I a can. Few minutes. Of course, Angel. Of course. This is your show as much as it's ours. Anyway, um, yeah, it's Bound Wonderworld. Uh, so these impressions are only based <laughs> That's off of the demo. very for patronizing. The... No, of course. I was being, well, okay. Anyway, these impressions, <laughs> the impressions I'm going to share for uh, Bound Wonderworld are based off, um, only a demo for the game. The full release isn't out until March 18th. Um, and you know, I really did, have some hopes for the game. Like conceptually, it checks a lot of interesting boxes. It's an original platform by Yuji Naka, who, as you guys know, previously did Sonic, and he also did Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg back in the GameCube days, which I think we touched on when Balan was first announced last summer. That you know, Billy Hatcher is actually a surprisingly decent little platformer with kind of unique gameplay. Character you had to like roll these giant eggs around, and the eggs would hatch into different abilities you'd use, and there are power ups and animals that help you, and all sorts of stuff. I um, like that game. So I have to... what you do. I like that game.
1: Yeah yeah it's fun right like i wanted not... to play it it's not yeah, great. it's not, like,
2: uh... it's not changing yeah, it's... The... it didn't change the world it didn't set the world on fire but you know what it was it was fine
0: hmm.
2: like it was enjoyable
0: oh man that how old was i when it came out i was probably like one four years older than you so i guess I was 14. But yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Um And like right off the bat, you know, because in part of Billy Hatcher, like the pedigree of Naka and doing all that had me interested in Belong because even the gameplay premise is kind of similar here. Like instead of eggs with different abilities, you have costumes to swap between, 80 of them. And in the demo, uh, you know, sure enough, you have different abilities. You gain like a flutter jump or a ground pound or a Crash Bandicoot-style tornado twirl or this vertical stretch thing that's kind of like when Mario uh, captures in Odyssey those uproot enemies and can get really tall and stretchy. Like all that is available in the demo and, you know, each costume does something different. And then you kind of pair that concept with the game's Steam, which borrows a bit from Night Into Dreams with its whimsy, but basically... You're playing through a musical to overcome the fears and anxieties of yourself and different people. So each world is themed around a person and their troubles. Like at the start of the demo, it's a corn farmer, and his levels are themed around farming with giant corn stalks and crops scattered all over the level. And then ultimately, you fight a boss that represents that person's, like I guess, inner demon of sorts, which for the farmer, I guess is a big old dog or maybe a wolf because wolves eat livestock. But he's a corn farmer with no animals so maybe not a wall i i don't know anyway you beat it and you you know you get the person you give the person their heart back a wacky dance number breaks out and it's on to help the next next person and all this is happening uh this whole process is being guided by this whimsical hat for a head being named uh balan who bears more than a passing resemblance to knights uh which isn't exactly a coincidence since the characters are for knights and even for sonic uh a guy named Nayoto Oshima, I think I probably butchered that name, but he's the character designer for Bound Wonderworld. It's the first time he's worked with Yuji Naka I don't know how long, which, you know, it's just another box to check for why this game should be something you pay attention to. Except then the demo came out. And, and 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 listen, I, I understand a game can change between a demo and a final release, but what what struck me most about this demo isn't that there's like gr- things that can be fixed. Like there's not like graphical bugs to fix, like pop in, although yes... Those are in the demo. And it's not like the frame rate running slows the problem, although, yes, it does. And it's not even, you know, that the worlds look a little sparse and simple, like maybe one from a couple generations ago that somehow is being released now. No, like my concern here is that all this potential, all this pedigree from the developers and their unique ideas and all that just feels i really to say it feels wasted on, like, the most ho-hum platformer full of incredibly questionable design decisions. And I I know it sounds harsh, but there's just so many things I don't understand about how Balan came to be. Like, the whole game just feels ripped out of the early era of greedy platformers as if they didn't learn any lessons from the past, I don't know how many generations of games. Like, take the speed of the game. I mean, frame rate aside, everything is just so slow. Like, your character... Even when his animation says he's running, like he looks like he's running, he barely feels like he's walking. The camera when you swing it around does it so slowly. The The costumes when you need to switch them, which to be fair is easy to do. You just tap L and R to cycle between them, but then each one has to have a little animation activating it that just makes that process unnecessarily drag. And that's particularly annoying because when you need to use a combination of costumes – which, you know, is supposedly one of the big hooks of the game, and it's actually encouraged for its co-op mode in particular, where you have to kind of balance between costumes. Uh, it's annoying because there's no fluidity of stringing the costumes together. It's just this slow, rigid process due to each one needing to do a little fancy animation, especially when each costume only has a single ability so if you want to ground pound to a platform and then flutter jump to the next platform and attack an enemy with a fireball that's three costume changes each with their own animation so like if you do that with a mario or a crash or any number of mascots from the past i don't know 20 years it's just boom 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 here it's like boom pause boom pause boom pause and it just like really drags down the experience and it's also odd that like You lose the costumes really quickly. So, if the one thing that's fast is how quickly a costume goes away. If you get hit by an enemy, the costume's gone. That's it. First hit, it's gone. And then you have to backtrack to wherever you got it in the level to get it again. And you do need it to complete certain things. So, there's constantly this zigzag if you have to get hit by an enemy. And even the process of getting a costume doesn't make sense. Like, you have to find a key and take it to this gem that the uh, the console, the costume's locked inside of, except almost always the key and the gem are just a few feet apart. It's not like there's a puzzle to solve. You just have to like get the key and literally walk over to the gem, which again, just adds this feeling of slowness because it's like, why don't you just make the gem the whole thing? Why do I have to go to the right just to turn around and go to the left to do the same thing? It doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And what kind of sucks is like that sort of shallow puzzle solving is pretty much what the rest of the demo amounts to. Like, oh, you need to open a door. Well, there's a switch directly next to it. Just go stand on it. You don't need to find it. It's just there. And at one point, um, I actually started to see these, like, dancing NPCs in part level, and I thought maybe they provide clues for deeper puzzles, like, oh, they're signaling come over here, or they're telling you use an ability there. But nope, if you uh, walk up to them, they just all inexplicably fade away, almost like a graphical glitch, except it's actually intentional from what I could tell. I'm guessing they're supposed to be, like, backup dancers for your musical, because they are just kind of dancing around and stuff, but... They're never really explained, they don't actually do anything, they just kind of exist until you get close and then they don't exist. It's 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 strange. And then there's also these other special uh and bout segments where you get to control the hat man thing. Whatever he it is, you control him, and you basically um how it works is you unlock these bouts mid-level and are then whisked away into like an entirely different thing. It's sort of like, you know, in Sonic where you go do the half pipe and Melville level, level or something. Um and when it first starts, as Balan flying around with all these dynamic camera angles. And I was like, all right, here we go. Night's homage. I see what we're going to do. We're going to fly around as Balan, except no, you are not. It's actually a series of uh, quick time events where you need to time button presses with on-screen actions. And those actions are, this is real, uh slow-moving, semi-transparent, static images of Balan in set poses and when they overlay with the animated balloon that's moving around the screen, like that animation of him in that same pose, you then press the A button. That's it. So it's like they're dragging a Photoshop layer that's semi-transparent on top of another layer. And then you press A when it looks like they line up. And it's very slow moving too. Um, now to be fair, maybe I, I, you know, I do our podcast matter stuff. So maybe I'm just really good at layering Photoshop layers. I don't know, but it was really like. Ooh, with the flex. Mundane. Yeah, I know, right? What a flex. But no, it was really mundane. Like the whole thing just felt like, I was like, seriously? Like they had this big climactic, he flies in and then you literally watch a silo, like a 50% opacity image of him overlay on top of him. And it, I don't know. And on some, like on some level, maybe the simplicity is because the game is constantly being marketed at aim, you know, as being aimed for everyone, which kind of translates to kid friendly. And they do talk about how like co-op's really fun with parents and their kids, which again, Translates to kid-friendly. But if I were to compare demos of other kid-friendly platformers that I haven't played the full versions of, much like Balan, I look at something like Super Lucky's Tale, which I played back at E3 2019, and that felt like such a better, modern, more fun approach to platforming than what Balan's now doing in 2021. So I'm not even going to... I don't even buy the, oh, well, it's for kids angle, because I have played slices of also-for-kid games that are way better than this. I think the... um. Difference really just boils down to these odd design choices. Like, remember at the top of this whole little spiel, I was saying that there's a dance number that happens when you beat a boss? That, Angel, you brought up Rhythm Thief. That would be a perfect time for some quick time events of its own, right? Like, you know, in Rhythm Thief, they made all the cutscenes interactive. You, you had rhythm games in it, but nope. These dance numbers in Balan, which is a game set in a musical, are not interactive. They are not actual gameplay. They are just cinematics, literally, literally just... They make these incredibly ornate original compositions. They have all these characters. You can't do anything with them. You just watch them, and then you go back to the mundane stuff. And I think the – yeah, I think the biggest bummer of all this, to me at least, is not that the game is bleh. Like it's that the blehness, for lack of a better term, is holding back some genuinely neat stuff like the level concepts. I mean, sure they look a little bland and like they're maybe using a free asset library or something, but I appreciate that they didn't go with the generic worlds that most platformers have. Like they have one based on corn farming and there's another one later in the demo. that's like clocks and gears and things. And it just feels a little, feels like they have their heart in the right place. They just, kind of execute on it or like they have these little guys called tims that follow you around everywhere they're basically the balan equivalent of sonic's uh, chows almost to the point of like being ripoffs but um if you feed them these droplets you c- collect in levels they build these neat contraptions for you in the overworld they can be powered up and then each color of these tims can do different things like have attacks or find you hidden items or stuff and they follow you through levels so you can like power them up and have like assistance as you go through the levels that's kind of neat but again um because Balan is Balan, nowhere does the demo tell you any of these more advanced things you can kind of do. Uh, Square Enix had to put out a blog post that explains it all separately, like the day after the demo came out. Um, for anyone who wants to try Balan and understand some of this deeper stuff, we'll link to the blog post in our episode post on roundtown.com. But it's just like there's these ideas there that just are not – they have no way to – Happen like it's just like they they have so many interesting things that just kind of fall the wayside and like similarly the cinematics are really actually surprisingly good like one aspect that really deserves a shout are cinematics and I I do remember in the original reveal Square Enix was saying how they're bringing their CG know how and their rendering engines and they're to create a platformer that has the production values of all their other properties and yeah that part they nail like the CG cutscenes look like they're practically from a different project in terms of the quality and the like the design like it looks really good hey,
2: you know you're 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 talking about the company that put out final fantasy the spirits within like come on uh-huh. yeah they're gonna yeah
0: yeah and that's what's funny so they bring they brought their end of the bargain to the table like and uh, the, the music's all really good and it's a huge component of the game so much so that they already announced a 90 song soundtrack when the game comes out, comes out <laughs> because they already release. announced a sequel you dlc no 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 <laughs> but, they're, but they're putting out like a soundtrack it's like all orchestral and stuff i just like really wish that the gameplay part matched all this like the developer pedigrees there the ideas are there the execution's just not there at all almost to like a mind-boggling degree and like I mean I guess it's possible that they could somehow turn this thing around in seven weeks I but as it stand, stands now like I gotta say I like, temper any expectations you may have battle and Wonderworld yeah wonder world this is not to be cheesy for a sec but like really this is it's it's mind-boggling how out of left it, it feels to angel to your point about like indie games feel like triple a tiles when you're talking about tradpole, uh, tadpole uh trouble this feels like worse than some early indie games in terms of it just feels like it's an alpha or something i don't understand how this is getting released well, so soon it's really weird and it does suck because again like there's some cool stuff in there if you or can get under the like badness, but yeah, I don't know. It's just so bizarre. So, makes like Adventure Three, you cowards. <laughs> Honestly, that I get. There's no way, like, there's no way that Sega can put out a Sonic Adventure and have it have a worse reception with balance going through right now. Like, people are playing the demo just to bash it. I feel like so it it has like one of the bigger threads on like reset error and stuff, and people just be, like, what be fair. is this? And,
1: I mean, like, the, the previous... First, I mean, I think, like, since we, we first saw it, we were all kind of thinking, like, oh, this looks a little rough, even though, like, you know, it yeah. looks ambitious, yeah. but rough. And, I mean, I don't know, like, maybe... I don't know. It, it feels like something that they were probably, like, waiting on showing on showing off till later, because, I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of suspicious, like, when you have a demo out that seems to already show all these issues. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like normally you just want to a little longer because I mean the demo I mean look at Resident Evil 8's village demo like it's not even mm-hmm. like the actual game it's just like a slice a vertical slice of the concept of the game so you still get a feel for it but you know it's not spoiling anything they literally just show you what you want. I mean there's like no combat in it you're just walking around so like maybe you're the combat. About Maiden is right yeah Maiden so like maybe like that aspect of it isn't ready to you know to show off yet because I mean they showed it off in the trailer but You know, they're figuring, like, oh, if we put the combat there now, people might say it sucks because, you know, it's maybe glitching out. Like, Mm -hmm. this sounds... I don't know. It sounds suspicious.
0: And, and yeah, and two things that are weird. One, to Capcom's defense. Not only did they do that, but they also have double the lead time between the demo and the release. So if things did go south or take a wrong turn or whatever, they have, you know, four months before Village is out. But this is seven weeks. But also, um, I feel like Square Enix was really like, you know, there is something here if you want to give it a shot because they... They could. Most demos would have been all right. You do world one. Here's a couple chapters of world one and the boss fight. Okay, they do that. But then if you do um, collect statues, which are basically like the game's version of uh, stars and Mario or whatever, um, you can actually unlock two levels from later in the game. One from like world four and world six or something. So they're really trying. And those. Again, there are interesting ideas in those, like like the clock and gear world I was talking about, but like again they're 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 kind of like, "Hey, look how cool some of the concepts are, but they can't back it with the actual like meat and potatoes of gameplay, and it's that mean it just continues to fall flat on their face, but it feels like they're trying to save it a little by being like, "Look, we give you a really big demo if you get through the early stuff, look at this cool later stuff, but you know it's it's not enough to save it, I guess is what I'm saying, but it it is it is weird. I I definitely feel like they should have delayed it. And yeah, it did look rough when it was first announced, but that was last summer. So I figured, okay, they showed us like alpha stuff from last summer by March twenty twenty one. Theoretically, we should be okay, but nope. Yeah, there's some there's some weird curse with like prolific '90s game developers trying to forge their own thing without their original. You know, like we have Yuji Naka doing this. We had uh, in a with Mario Number Nine. Um, Did we have we had the split of Death thing? Stranding feedback? Blood Bloodstain actually held its own. Okay. Yeah. Um. I feel like I feel like uh, he actually Iroshi actually like hung in there. But another example. Yeah. Was, you know, even Ukulele
1: stirred. wasn't as well received. It yeah, was just, like, it just wasn't like good. A- Although the sequel was supposedly really good, but
0: yeah, and possible layer. Yeah, cuz they they changed it up and and made it more of like a 2D. Uh,
1: <laughs> now, the Donkey Kong Country, thing. yeah, inspired one instead yeah. of the Benjamin inspired one.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And but even like um I don't know if you remember Devil's Third on the Wii U. Nintendo got the guy that how did could I in. Oh, yeah, I, uh, it got I, don't know. I mean, I mean, how could yeah, I? It got got yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> but anyway, that, you know, Nintendo's like, "Look, we got we got this whole this whole lineage of games. We're going to make a new one and it just was not good and he like left gaming for a while and is only in the last week doing interviews about wanting to make games again. Um but yeah so it's like I don't know, there's like some era of game designer that sees like every time they try and do a comeback or mix things up in some way, they get balan Wonderworlded. And it's it's strange. I'm not sure why it is so that's a new term that we're gonna we're gonna use? Balloned. Yeah. I mean it used Baland. to be my I, number nine I like Ballon. Yeah. Like yeah, it's smoother than my number nine. But yeah it's I, I'm hoping it's like curse. someone's gonna break the curse I think um I think I think I think uh, I think bloodstained Bloodstain definitely but then Balon went right back in so yeah. who knows yeah bloodstained did well enough to get a prequel spin off a sequel like that's moving along just fine but it's yeah. probably gonna get an anime it's, at some point like probably I'm sure Netflix will pick it up the same way they just did with Tomb Raider and skull Island show and uh obviously Castlevania they they're going all in on the animes based on other properties so let me but, tell uh, you I'm uh, yeah, so much less excited hmm.
2: about that uh cyberpunk anime <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i i don't uh i don't blame you i they really botched their uh prospects there for a franchise i feel like i mean
1: what if the game didn't have any of those issues or or that's or that would have nothing to do with why well, you weren't excited about that anime
2: yeah to, to be fair it's it's still studio trigger and the director of Grin Logan so there's there's a shot that i mean it's could be it's, good
0: well it's kind of it's sort of similar to balan to me the cyberpunk situation because the world building seems cool for cyberpunk it's just the execution within that world like night city and everything they built out looks cool and there's probably good stories you could tell in there it's just maybe they didn't do that well in the game itself you know so maybe there is hope for the because It could go in a different direction yeah you can only hope yeah fingers crossed um I will say, luckily, not all the games I've been playing lately are as glum as Balan. Um, in fact, quite the opposite with the other game I wanted to bring up this episode, which also will lead us into our co-op discussion, which is Captain Toad. And, um, I say this for two reasons why I'm like so positive about it. First, uh, the reason I bought it, like I own Captain Toad on Wii U already. And, you know, I didn't double dip through, uh, both the release of the quote unquote special episode DLC or the Labo VR support. Because you know, forty bucks for what amounts to eighteen new levels and a little viewfinder—I mm, don't know. But then Walmart started selling the entire bundle, the game and the DLC, for four dollars, which is less than the price of the standard DLC. And how can you say no to that? I don't know if either of you guys jumped on that deal before it expired, but is an accident. Didn't. I it didn't. Was, even, um... I
2: didn't even know that it, it was a thing.
0: Oh well, so I guess that's that's how you can. Say
2: no to that. It's I, I, I had my exist and
0: not jumped <laughs>
2: would have been great thought, to know from well, our producer, but,
0: you know. It, well, it happened so quickly. But similar similar it, to the Battle Wonderland situation, but, you know. Hey, hey, you, you knew about Battle Wonderland. It was on our topic list. I absolutely more did More than – it was there. It was there. You had time. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, seriously. So for, if you didn't know about the Captain Toad thing, which sounds like you did, it was a really weird situation because basically Walmart put up the DLC at a sale price, but it was the full game bundle by mistake. So then they pulled the listing, but then they put it up again the next morning and it happened again, and they just kind of left it there for like four or five hours, and then they took it down. And my my conspiracy theory, I say this on I tweeted this, out as a total joke, but my conspiracy theory is this error was actually a rogue Walmart employee who just really wants a sequel, so you know he gamed the numbers a little by inflating the sales for like thirteen hours with a cheap price, and probably cost is Walmart thousands Walmart? Yeah. upon thousands of dollars. But I'm sure we've all done something like that right? damn that's that's gonna hurt their walmart's <laughs> margins Thousand dollars. i know i know Ooh. but but are they gonna could, i don't know but if it, it means we get a captain toad <laughs> but um yeah what balan lacks in polish uh is something that captain toad has in spades and i always did think that like the wii u original did you i mean andrew i know you played it but can, did you ever play the wii u original no i did not it was honestly one of the most like visually appealing games on this on the Wii U. Like the sheer charm of it. Like, you know, there are these little puzzle box dioramas. Uh you spin them around to like seal nooks and crannies you need a traverse, and then you kind of like find each state's objects in those. But like doing that when there's like cute little Goombas like napping on life preservers or like shy enemies cowering when you throw a turnip at them or like toad like shivering in the cold or holding his breath underwater like if you spin him around he gets really dizzy like it was all just very like charming and that it almost distracts from the actual game you're trying to play but the whole thing, it just feels like a little like cartoon like I think I think Angel, I don't know if you remember me saying this I feel like I said, we could check the tape actually we talked about Uh that originally I feel like I made a comparison back in the day To it almost being like Nintendo's version of Wall-E, where it's like telling stories and these little interactions and charming moments with zero dialogue. It's all told through these little like animations, basically. Obviously, totally different scale in terms of what it tells, but just like kind of. I remember, I think I remember saying it mirrored that in my mind. Um, That 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 complete and
1: total lie. But I don't. I'm not confident enough to disprove
0: it. Someone can go look back. I want to say it was an episode in the 80s or some, not in the, oh, the 80s, but like. In the 80s. Not the 80s. <laughs> not, not no, the era of back the in 80s, the day we but to, when Jason had a full set of hair. I still do. Thank you very much. Uh, no, but I think sometime <laughs> in the 80 number range, like episode 80 to 89, it's somewhere in there, I think. So someone can go check. But, um yeah, now being able to revisit that and have these 18 new stages for only four bucks is, is pretty awesome. And so I actually want to talk about it a bit, are those 18 stages in particular? Because unlike the rest of the game here, two player is actual two player co-op. It's not one person being toad and the other being the pointer, which is, you know, fine in of itself. Like the pointer person is always able to hold enemies at bay or interact with the environment as you ran around as toad, But You know, when there's two actual people, the dynamic does in fact change because now you have two people in the same little diorama, and you need to manipulate the camera angle together. So, for those who played the original Captain Toad, like the still, it's still the same gameplay rules. Um, You can't jump, can't really defend yourself against against enemies. Uh, What else there? Like you, you know, you need to find like that primary objective of just getting the crown. It was a star in the original. Now it's a crown. Um, and it's somewhere in this multi story maze and you have to move the camera around to sort of reveal areas where it could be or how to get to it um but now everything's basically doubled up so there's toad and there's Toadette, which means theoretically you can have two things happening at once if you're both you know if they're both obtainable from a similar viewpoint, one person can grab all the coins or whatever you know do the secondary goal for the stage to like do the hundred percent of it another can work towards getting one of the three diamonds that are scattered around the stage, which as a reminder for folks who haven't played Captain Toad recently, you need to collect those diamonds because the grand total of those unlocked the later stages. So, um, you know, there's all sorts of different things you can do in concept by having two people and be more efficient. But what I found is that it's actually kind of hard to truly multitask in part because you never really have a static viewpoint. You do need to fairly constantly rotate the camera to see what's behind a bend or, you know, hidden way under a lip of a platform or uh, where a ladder is, that sort of thing. So if you try and swing the camera while your partner's on the move, there's a not 0% chance, higher than that in fact, uh, that you'll now have your partner, your toe dead or whatever, run into an enemy unintentionally or hit an obstacle or, you know, die. And that's obviously the case too if they decide to move the camera while you're doing something. So what I found is more so than if you play with the pointer controls, communication really is key. Like you need to discuss the specific moves you're gonna make, you need to talk through the potential paths you're gonna take and that makes it very different of experience than when player two is just your wingman with a pointer like in most of captain toad um another reason you want to stick together though is one of the new mechanics introduced in the special episode dlc is called boo spotting and in this thing uh actually i should back up the, the dlc has uh, it's a mix of new stuff and uh new puzzles in existing environments so there's five entirely new environments there's a pirate ship there's this amazing world may entirely out of snacks that looks great really charming uh but also retrofits some existing stages you played in the main game so with boo spotting what they've done is basically switch off the lights on some stages made them a nighttime perspective and layered them with booze and it's up to the two of you to simultaneously shine your headlamps at the same boo at the same time to evaporate him meaning you need to rather quickly coordinate on which booze to go after in what order and where in the level because they surround you fast and there's dozens of them so it's a really like It's again, communication is key, but you gotta stick together for that, um, to actually get through. It took a couple tries when we were doing it. Um, another new mechanic for some stages, or I think, I think it's new, is, um, it's called crown capturing. And for these, um, instead of just having one crown, you need to collect five, like crown fragments, I guess, to summon the final crown for a level. The, the catch here is when you grab one, the next one will appear somewhere else entirely on the stage but only for like 10 seconds or so so this is actually an instance where you do need to split up uh and sort of plot out each crown's placement then sort of volley back and forth between your positions until you get all five and then the big one appears and that's that um but perhaps where in all the stuff where the second player is useful perhaps where it's like the least significant is the minecart stages um i don't know if you guys remember from the original captain toad or well kevin you didn't play it but there are um these stage yeah, When to, I saw those, I was like,
1: for, "Oh man! Like they should just take this and turn this into Pokemon Snap, and then, they never And did. then they did <laughs> <laughs> on the sli- on the did. Wii U.
0: Oh yeah, well, yeah, Wii U should have had Pokemon Snap. Just like for actually the, using the, the, the gyroscope. I don't viewfinder. think you use the gyroscope on the Switch. You don't. I don't think you do. Um, but you do yeah, yeah, have the option not. to use it with a Captain Toad. No, but um, the minecarts for those who aren't don't remember. Basically, yeah, you slip into a first person mode and you're just chucking turnips at stuff. So now when it's the full two-player one it's just two of you and since the targets are usually together at any one point you know you don't need a necessary plot out where to swing the camera or whatever you just throw your turnips which makes this it makes it like a very nintendo-y miniaturized version of like time crisis or like some sort of light gun game vibe where it's just you know you're just throwing things at the screen and trying to hit everything and and it's, it's actually really fun even though it it's kind of like a nice break from all the meticulous planning of the other stages because you just like you know throw stuff randomly and get some diamonds and move on. So it's fun. Um Like, really, if you, I guess, to sum this up, those are kind of big differences. So really, if you enjoyed the first Captain Toad at all, um, the new stages are a lot of fun. They offer some different puzzles, they introduce some new mechanics, and they still, what I really liked is they actually did what Captain Toad originally did so best, which is both be this charming little puzzle game and simultaneously a nice homage to Mario. Like, even in the special episode, you're given the chance to collect coins in special stages that conceptually mirrored to toad houses in like Mario three where you know you you it shows up somewhere you've already been and you go back and then do the special. I mean here you're just flipping pages of a book instead of an overworld, but still it's nice that they kind of have that nod. Or you know the turn up doing is obviously Mario 2 reference, um game the pickaxe plays the music from the arcade Donkey Kong game. Like it's all there. It all still feels very um Mario homage which is cool. If you decide to jump in on this in the next couple weeks, or if you had the game for four bucks when Walmart was selling it at that and haven't played it yet it is a nice preview of what to expect from mario 3d world and bowser's fury i mean first off since captain toad was modeled around 3d world uh that meant it too had those gamepad friendly touch-based platforms to manipulate so with the switch version both in the main game and the special dlc um they just mapped that to the uh gyro controls so the cursor's not controllable by rocking the controller back and forth. It works decently well. Not as precise as touch, I feel like, but not horrible either. So if you want an early sample of what that would be like in three D World, it's already right here. It's been here for a couple of years. And second, um, it has come to light recently that Captain Toad segments within three D World on Switch, which, you know, the Captain Toad segments originally were in three D world and then spun off into the separate title. Um, but the ones in three D World will now support four players in Uh, 3D World on Switch. So if you want a taste of what that will be like, Treasure Tracker offers half of that, but double of what you may be previously used to. So you can kind of like, you know, see how you feel about it. Uh, My one piece of advice though is do not play with just Joy-Cons, be it in Captain Toad special episode or 3D World because um, we originally tried that since the game iconography sort of suggested it, but man, it is not seamless it is not intuitive like to move the camera you have to hold a button and then the stick which means you can't move while moving the camera which is something i do all the time when solving captain toad puzzles and then zooming out requires a similar action it's just yeah so if you have a grip or a pro controller or anything that lets you do a full set with two sticks go that route do not use joycon only even though the game you know because it's so co-op centric and it's on switch and you you know you can just pop off the Cons and play like use the sticks use both sticks um so yeah, that's Captain Toad. That felt like I was just rambling, but it's really fun. Like it it's you know, it's such a charming little experience. Um and it does segue us nicely into a conversation we wanted to have It's sort of a pre-game analysis, if you will, of 3D World's launch on Switch, which is just we wanted to talk co-op games. You know, 3D World's gonna be a biggie for that. Captain Toad did its thing, even Balin offers co-op for those who want that. Uh, but more broadly you know co-op can play out uh in a lot of different ways so you know arguably even team-based stuff like when we do our weekly splatoon games and like technically that's co-op in a way so it does it definitely is co-op. kind of yeah. yeah so it does beg the question like when someone says co-op like what what does that mean like what's the experience you like what do you gravitate towards what does co-op mean to you when you hear it like what what's some of your favorite experiences because i know we've all in some degree even you know apex legends is co-op in a way we've all Play co-op like is there a particular type you like?
2: Um, I wouldn't consider Apex co-op at all. Um, strictly for the fact that in my mind co-op is always players versus environment versus mm. players versus players. So I wouldn't consider consider that co-op at all. Honestly, what would That's you fair. consider it? Uh, just a competitive competitive shooter. Yeah, you're mm. you're cooperating, but. I, co-op has always seemed to me like yeah like uh, Left 4 Dead, where it's just you and three other players. And I know Left 4 Dead has a versus mode, and sure you can argue that you're cooperating with your team against another team, but that at that point that's just competitive. You're you're a team. You're not. I don't I don't know. I I've I've always just thought of co-op as player ver- players versus environment as opposed to players versus players.
0: No, I've, I've kind of been the same way, honestly. I was just, um, like, when I was, you know, when we were setting up this episode and I was, like, posing the question to myself, I'm like, well, technically, anything where you're cooperating, by definition, is co-op. But, yeah, I don't think, when I hear co-op, I do not think, like, I, the fact that I was like, huh, even our Splatoon games are co-op, like, it didn't occur to me that, yeah, obviously, if we're cooperating, it's cooperative. But, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, I think, kind of, that it tends. My default position is, it's you yeah, against definition the it is. game.
1: I would, def- like, I would- like, yeah, when I think co-op, like I would definitely think famine run before I think the league mode, but because mm-hmm. you know that's literally just us versus the the salminoids. Yeah, but well, what? Oh, uh, yeah. So
0: why When you guys when you do think co-op, Kevin? Like, is there a specific favorite co-op experience you've had?
2: Oh, absolutely! Resident Evil Five is one of my favorite games of all time, and me and well, our buddy Matthew, when that game came out, we played so yeah. much of it. We He still playing bought the game. Uh, we tried last year mm-hmm. but we just never just never really got back into it. But yeah, Resident Evil Five is probably and it's not even one of the best Resident Evil I'd probably say at this point it's probably on the lower end of Resident Evil games. Mm-hmm. But it's still probably one of my favorite games of all time just because of how much of that game me and Matthew played. It was just Jesus Christ. Those
0: those are some good some good memories right there. It's five five is the one where they punch a boulder. That's six, right? No, that's five. Oh, that's five. Okay, I can see how that could be really fun. <laughs> that game's still over the top.
1: Yeah, it is. Yep. I mean, although like before that boulder scene, that's kind of like we're just. I, I don't want to say stay grounded. That boulder scene like is, it, is
2: also like all the way at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, oh, okay.
1: so so it's like it doesn't get. It stands out because it doesn't really fit in with, like, the
2: rest, I
1: guess. I like, see. I guess you could do that already. I mean, I, yeah, I guess that's happening.
2: But... Yeah, that, that game ramps up. Spoiler alerts for Resident Evil 5, but most of the game you're playing in, like, villages. Then it goes into laboratories. Then it goes to, like, caves. And the game ends uh, inside a volcano. Hmm. And that's where uh, that's where Chris uh, Redfield punches the boulder.
0: And, and And 6 then runs with that, right? Does 6 get more ridiculous? No. Or does oh, it yeah, yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. Six it does Jones, get more ridiculous. Yeah, way, yeah. way more
1: ridiculous. Yeah. 6 was is trying to appease literally every single audience at the same time. And that's how you got yeah. four completely different campaigns. Right. But it was still fun, though. I mean, yeah, when I'm looking for co-op, like, I'm just looking for any campaign that I could beat with someone else, like, specifically my brother, like... I'm always thinking of, like, the Tales games. Like, those are definitely... Even though, like, you could play them all perfectly fine single-player, um, I definitely prefer to play them um, multiplayer. To so the point that... Like, we have, like, five Tales games that we still haven't touched because we're still trying to get through Tales of Azealia. And we still have Vesperia, Zelia 2, and, like, a bunch of others after. And, yeah, I just can't play them because I just want to play them with my brother. But then, you know, like... Kevin mentioned the Resident Evil Five, but the when I did really love that one and six, the one that I feel like I more fondly remember now is Revelations one, because mm. oh man the the multiplayer in that one it was pretty much a raid mode, but the thing about the the co-op is that you end up playing it longer than the single player, like I played throughout the I played the entire raid mode with a friend.
2: Did Rev- and, are you uh, talking about mercenaries? Is that the raid mm-hmm. mode? No, no, no. Where is that different? Oh, from This is a little different. Um,
1: like this one, like you're going from point A to point Z, and you're just trying not to die. Um, I, it's there are some point-based levels, but for the most part, it's just play through this section of the game again with remixed enemies and stuff. But you're doing it with someone else's time, so you might fight like waves and waves of the boss of the final boss monster, but he's like super tiny. But you have to get through. You know, a couple corridors from the game. But it all builds up to, like, the final level, which I kid you not. You run through the entire game. You're expected to run through the entire game in one run, like in one session. So you start from, like, the very, very beginning, and you go through everything all the way to the final battle. And you're doing it in co-op, and it's just really cool. It's definitely super fun, super hard.
0: And, somatically, the whole Revelations 1 was all set on that ship, right? So, you're just basically running through the entire ship. Yeah, you you're literally... Ship?
1: No, no, no. You are pretty much just doing the ship sections. Um, yeah. I okay. mean, there is, like, some caves. There's, like, some docks area. But, those are all pretty small. Like, the ship is definitely, like, the biggest section. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that will take, like, maybe an hour or two. But, an hour or two of just, like, one session is, like, intense. Because, you know, by the time you get to the end and you're barely surviving you really don't want to die. Like, the stakes just feel way too high because, you know, you don't want to do all of that all over again so soon. But that's... Which is where the co-op, like, really hinges on, you know, communication and working together. Which, damn, I don't know. Capcom just, like, knocks it out with these co-op games because, you know, I can't really not talk about co-op and not bring up Monster Hunter, which is a -hmm. game that gets exponentially better when you're playing it with someone else. Because, I mean, I did enjoy it initially alone, but... It wasn't until I started hunting with my brother in Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate that it was just a ton, a ton of fun. And, you know, Portal 2, Pikmin 2, Pikmin 3. I know I rag on Pikmin 3 a lot, but the game itself was a ton of fun with the co-op. But, you know, that also made it easy. But, yeah, all those games. DKC 2. I kind of wish you could play simultaneously, but if anything, it's for the best. Because DKC 1, 2, and even the country games. Like you could play them cooperatively but it never really felt those don't really feel like co-op games um especially Donkey Kong Country Returns Tropical Freeze and the first one just cuz the you know it feels obvious that the game is designed for a single player but it just feels like two people are playing a single player game simultaneously you're not really it doesn't mm-hmm. really feel like you're cooperating or working together we're just playing at the same time which, you know, could sometimes be bad because you'll jump on an enemy that's supposed to be used, you know, to bounce across the, the gap and get to the next area. But if someone does it too early, then the
0: second player won't
1: have something to jump on. So,
0: yeah, that uh, you know. that actually... That's something that, like, when I think co-op, and maybe it's because I'm a brainwashed Nintendo fanboy, but I the the game that always drifts front of my mind is Four Swords. And... Your point about Don Kong Country and how it was just like it was two people playing single player. I feel like Four Swords for Nintendo, and granted they've they've continued doing stuff like Don Kong Country. You know, you look at Yoshi's Boy World or like Kirby Star Allies, and it's just you're walking together as a group of people, and you might bonk into if someone else was gonna hit, or that sort of thing. But like, yeah, I feel like yeah Four they Super Swords. Mario Brothers, the games feel
1: the same way, except you could the caring and throwing each other works a lot better in that game. Like, I feel like the way they hide some of the coins almost encourages you to work with your partner to get them versus the donkey kong ones mm-hmm. where like i mentioned 90 i would say like 80 70 to 80 percent of the time you're better off whoever is playing as dixie cranky or diddy they're better off just clinging out to donkey kong for almost all of the platforming parts except for a few certain ones where you know it's just really really hard that you want to have multiple attempts at it just so one of you could survive so that the other person could spot on the other side right so yeah like i said it really does just feel like You're just playing it simultaneously and just, I guess, decreasing the amount of times you will have to redo it versus, you know, working together.
0: I don't know. It's weird. Which which is, which to go back to what I was saying about Four Swords is I feel like Four Swords was a turning point where Nintendo realized, oh, if we're going to have people all doing the same thing at once, make it cooperative. You're all moving towards the same goal. But, like, a little head-to-head inside isn't so bad. Like, the idea of, you know, who got the most rupees in Four Swords or now with 3D World or then with 3D World, now again with 3D World, you know, who has the crown, who's doing the most coin collecting or whatever. Like, adding that slight competitive, like, twist to a normally very cooperative experience, like, I really like that. Like, Four Swords is one of my favorite co-op experiences. I think it's just a really cool sort of, like – it's not me in the middle because it's still more cooperative and competitive, but it gives – purpose to the fact that you have all these people crammed on a screen at once and they might be bonking into each other and sure my strategies of throwing someone in new Super Mario brothers but you know like it it basically sidesteps the thing you were describing as being an issue because it makes it part of the experience and mm. i don't know like theoretically it's not like it's not true co-op because there's a little pet angle but when i think co-op for some reason i my, my mind just always drifts first to four swords it's because it's the first one like my friend and i in high school played all the way through it together it's the first time i think I did a true co-op thing like that, you know, as an only child and all, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just really liked that experience. And I, it, I feel like very, not very many developers have really latched onto that. Like they still do traditional co-op, but there's not like the competitive within the co-op thing, which I would like to see more of. Like I'd even like Nintendo to just, I don't know, put out four swords again. I mean, they did it for Zelda's 20th on the uh, DS. They poured over the original four swords for free. I think like, Hey, if they want to do a hd port of four swords adventures with online play on switch for the 25th this year like that'd be cool they can come up with a workaround for the gamecube gba connectivity thing like i want more games to do that sort of it's cooperative but also there's like a little edge to it like i I think that's really fun and and it basically like i was saying completely avoids the frustration that you're just going with like a donkey Kong country or something because yes it still happens but it's intentional versus just annoyingly accidental you know Hmm. I think, and I think a game that kind of does the inverse of that really well, actually, again, staying on my Nintendo high horse here, is uh, Double Dash, which was a comp- Mario Kart Double Dash, a competitive racing game that put in a co-op angle. I don't necessarily consider it a truly co-op game, and I don't even consider it the best Mario Kart. I mean, I think um, when we were talking about Crash Team Racing a few episodes ago, you know, we were talking favorite kart racers, and I said Mario Kart Eight and DS, and didn't even mention Double Dash. But the idea. Of turning Mario Kart into something that has a cooperative angle. And the fact that it actually worked as well as it did, you know, that, that was really fun. And it, it allowed, you know, it allowed new strategies. You're not just holding, um, items strategically now. You're also like able to steal other people's items. And it's, it's a Mario Kart you play differently because of the mechanic. And I thought that was really interesting. And again, like if Nintendo wants no, to give okay. that a second go somehow, I'd be down.
1: Yeah, and while it's life was short lived, I we definitely have to mention like Sonic Team Racing. Like that one. Mm, uh-huh. While as bummed as I was about, you know, Sonic and Racing Sonic Racing Austras transformed. Sonic and Austras Racing Transformed. Jesus that name. Um <laughs> like as bunt as I was that we didn't get, you know, like a port is it a port of it on the Because I would definitely get There's it. Not. it
0: no, um, I don't think yeah.
1: so. Or, you know, like a proper sequel to that one, because that one I felt like was just amazing, like, everything about the controls. I feel like, I, I, if, I if anything, I forgot to mention that one last time when we were talking about our, f- our favorite kart racing games, because I feel like that one would definitely be my favorite overall. But, um, yeah, when we got Sonic Team Racing, like, you know, the emphasis was put more on the teams, and it's not even just, you know, if you get fifth place, but your teammates get first or second, you win. I mean, that's definitely a new, but something else you have to keep track of now, but Just the way items are used, every time you grab an item, you can you can press a button to send it to a teammate, and if you do, the item gets upgraded, or if you're a teammate and you need an item, you can press a button to ping your teammates to see if they have one that they could donate, or whoever whichever teammate is furthest ahead, will leave a yellow path behind them that if the teammates drive on top of it, they essentially get like an endless speed boost as long as they're on the path. And all of and all while they're doing that, if they keep doing tricks and which includes, you know, spins in the air or driving close to someone but not hitting them and that kind of stuff. You build up your team meter and when you use your team meter, then everyone gets a boost that's even bigger than all the other ones. And you know, it pretty much works like as if you got the power star. So, I don't know. It's cool just seeing like I guess that mechanic, at least in a racing game, taken to its max. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, I guess we're still not quite at um Yeah, I guess we still haven't seen I'm curious where that's gonna go next. I guess what's, yeah, what's, yeah. I feel like
0: that... a lot of these ideas like happened and then kind of just faded away. Like you, you know, you mentioned Res- Resident Evil Revelations. I genuinely thought that we would see like Revelations tied pretty close to Nintendo devices. It's been on other. And systems, I think they're but, both like, on the it's... Switch. I know like Revelations One yeah. keeps, keeps getting discounted on the Switch like every other day. It's discounted right now because uh, I genuinely thought, you know, they did the Resident Evil digital event a couple of weeks ago, right? And I genuinely thought they would do a surprise at the end of here's something for Switch owners, a port of something. I guess they ported them all. So Revelations three, like at bare minimum, give us like Resident Evil Seven Cloud in the U.S. or perhaps let that rumor of Resident Evil Three Cloud become a reality. But either way, like those already Seven Cloud exists in Japan. The Cloud stuff exists in America. That would be an easy thing to throw to Switch fans. But what I was actually hoping was Revelations three. Because here's a system, the Switch, that is co op friendly. It's all about having the two controllers. Resident Evil Revelations was all about co op. It cut its teeth, you know, on Nintendo systems, the 3DS and the Wii U. It seemed like an obvious shoe in, and it was so strange to me that it just wasn't there. Like, literally, the most Nintendo got, to your point, Angel, was sales. Like, you can get Revelations 1 and 2 for, like, eight bucks right now instead of 20. You can get four five six or i think five dollars off like that was all they gave nintendo fans at their big digital event for the anniversary of resident evil and there was just sitting there resident evil you know revelations three just it could have been a thing or like you know let's talk about mario kart right like mario kart 8 has shown you know it sold gangbusters it was actually the third highest sun game in all of europe in 2020 three years after launch it's huge but they've shown that they can have that and simultaneously do Weird secondary Mario Karts. Like Mario Kart Live, you know, has done really well since it came out. So like, why not just throw out a remaster of Double Dash? Don't expect, or an HD Remake or something. Like, don't necessarily expect it to be the next Mario Kart 9 or whatever, but like, it could live in harmony with the 8 showing there's an appetite for Mario Kart. So if you do like spin-off ones, like, there's a chance there to bring that back. Or maybe make it a DLC thing for Mario Kart 8 and appeal that lines. I don't know. There's just opportunities. Again, I was saying I want four swords back. There's always opportunities where Nintendo could like, or Capcom or whoever, can take these one-off, two-off co-op ideas and sort of flesh them out a bit more. Sonic Team Racing, where's that gonna go next? You know, there's so many things, and they I feel like they always kind of regress back to the default of what co-op is, and they don't really, like, push it. Like, even when I was talking about Four Swords, you know, oh, Nintendo does this competitive edge for, like, a few games,
2: and yeah. that's it. Like, I, I just
0: feel like there's so many ways it could, you know let these breathe a bit more and try different things within these concepts and they just kinda of do it as a one off and then just link away. I don't know. These are all just dreams I have, I guess. <laughs> but but yeah. Um although while we're talking dreams, one other one I'd like to see them move further into true co op with is Animal Crossing, New Horizons. Um so they released the January update uh this past week and it is nice to see that festival is back as a holiday and you can get to learn new reactions for it and collect new clothes and get new seasonal items, yada yada. But we're coming up on the one year anniversary of the game. Like I feel like we're at the point where it deserves a little more than just here's another holiday and another item to collect and then craft. Like what past Animal Crossings had that this one lacks, I feel like, is a place to go with your friends and do things with your friends. I mean granted it did May Game Island, which is a bit more competitive, but I'm thinking like Nintendo's clearly into the idea of you doing stuff with friends like, kind of in harmony, not head to head in Animal Crossing now. Like, even for festival, uh, the festival thing, they're like, oh, you, you can collect all these, uh, ribbon or not ribbons, feathers and you got your you give them to, I did not, I haven't actually turned on game in a little while, but, uh, <gasps> you can collect your, I know, I last turned it on for the New Year's celebration, but, you know, you collect these feathers. And then you you give them to Pave or whatever his name is. And then he dances for you. And in the press release, you're like – and you can have your friends come to your island and celebrate together and then go to their island and celebrate together. And I was like, all right, clearly you want like people doing stuff together. So why don't you take the idea of the minigame island but then combine it with that hedge maze thing you did and, I don't know, maybe do something – a special limited time event where you and your friends need to complete a maze together and you each have a tool you have to rely on each other for or like – you know, and then you all get a reward or something and they can – possibly even do a four swords thing where whoever you know did the most of something gets a little extra or whatever or maybe like a better fit for that would be you go to an island and you have to collect a special seashell or something or get the feathers for festival but then whoever gets the most feathers gets an extra item so you're all getting the benefit of what happens if you get feathers but one guy gets a little something more like that mechanic of four swords i feel like they could just toss into the animal crossing and it should feel pretty natural so I'm hoping they maybe start fleshing that out a little more because right now I feel like all the Animal Crossing updates are very just like simple. It's just like, all right, new holiday, new new thing to collect. New holiday, new thing to collect. Oh, here's a new reaction. Okay, new holiday, new thing to collect. Like if they can um, sort of spruce that up now that we're at the one-year mark of that pattern, that might be kind of cool. And and I feel like – I mean they have the March update coming. That's the Mario Anniversary festivities. Maybe they do something there. I don't know. I mean, they aren't really, Nintendo's weird in that, like, they, things from Animal Crossing, they don't just give up on. I mean, it took four years, but they announced that the, uh, Sanrio collection amiibo cards from Animal Crossing are now coming to the US. Uh, they are Target exclusive, but they've been around in Japan forever and you could, uh, scan them and you get Sanrio character posters, like Hello Kitty and stuff, um, Ooh. in your home. Yeah. And they've been a thing since Happy Home Designer, roughly. Uh, Nintendo never brought them here, but out of the blue, they're like, yep, we'll bring them out in March. So, like, clearly they're not just laying things completely fall onto the wayside. So, there's a chance a maze could come back. There's a chance an island could happen. Maybe in due time we will get that. But that's just, you know, I was just, because I was thinking like Animal Crossing sort of is a co op experience, but isn't really. But maybe there's an opportunity here. So, like I said, if we're talking pipe dreams, that's my newest one. But just, just wanted to ramble about that. I mean, it could be yeah,
1: fun, I, right? I do wish they had a more intuitive way. Like, even if they don't give you the tools to quickly design the core island, I wish there was maybe like a side island where, you know, you could create obstacle courses or something like that easily. And just like, just something that like resets itself. That way you don't have to, yeah, you know, sacrifice a part of your island. And, you know, it also just takes forever for that matter. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: maybe in due time, maybe there'll be a bigger update. Um, yeah, Andrew, you did mention Monster Hunter, and uh, it is making news right now, and I know this is something to get some thoughts on. Uh, they announced that Monster Hunter Rise will be getting a special hardware bundle um, for Europe and Japan right now. America's not confirmed, but it is a Monster Hunter Rise edition version of the Switch that has some designs based on the game's icon- iconography, I guess you could say. Um, and it will have a pro controller option as well, and uh, it's not coming to America.
1: That is surprising.
0: Yeah, at least not yet. Maybe it'll be announced between now and the time this episode gets posted, but, you know, tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, you would you consider getting a Monster Hunter Switch?
1: I definitely would if there was more to it. Like, damn it, it sucks because I'm, like, really – I'm, like, on that fence because, like, my Switch, like, it sounds like it's dying. Like, the mortar is just – well, the motor, the fan inside is just extremely loud and it just sounds like it's just like struggling to run at times. Even when I'm playing games like Donkey Kong Country 2,
0: but it yes, run- I kind of wish it starts spinning up for a Super Nintendo game.
1: It spins up at random times. I don't know if it has anything to do with which game it's playing or not, but yeah. And I've already like cleaned the, the vent before. Like, it, I don't know. It just seems like it's just like getting ready. I mean, it's almost four years old. It's kind of crazy that in a month and about a month and a half. It'll be four years old, but I was kind of looking for an excuse to, like, get a new one. And I'm kind of hoping, like, even if, it, like, you know, I, I tend to ignore or just, like, take every single room I hear with a huge, like, green, well, not even a green salt with a pile of salt. Um, But, you know, like, if they were to release, like, a newer, beefier version of a console right now, like, that would be something I would definitely look into. But, uh, yeah, I can't justify buying basically the same Switch monster hunter makes it really tempting maybe at the very least we'll get the the ps no the the pro controller but i don't know i thought i thought for sure like if they were to release a monster hunter version of the console it would come with you know something else kind of like the new 3ds did when they had its own monster hunter edition that was the new 3ds i think around the time that the new 3ds was announced but
0: yeah it was yeah I think it was one of the um launch options <sighs>
1: Pretty much, I, I I wish I could justify getting it, but I can't. Switch is still alive, I guess. That's all that matters.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because there's two ways of looking at it, I feel like. Because one is obviously, especially with something like Monster Hunter, where it needs that graphical power and that extra boost, like launching with a souped-up version of a system makes sense. But on the flip side, I could totally see Nintendo possibly having a Switch Pro later in the year and being like, well, how do we clear out inventory of the current Switch from our warehouses at a faster rate now that the holidays are over, well, we could do some special editions. So let's dip one in red paint and do the Mario edition. Let's do the monster hunter one. Now get people to buy them and then, you know, switch the production line over and six months from now, there's the switch pro. Like I, I could see it going either way, but it does put, people in a weird spot because like yeah technically the monster Hunter switch is an upgrade from yours it has the better battery but that you know maybe is yeah i don't know that that there's a switch yeah yeah. and if you know that like there's a better a literal better system looming on the horizon i could see how it could be you could be kind of torn it certainly doesn't help that the rumor mill keeps churning out new things about the pro i mean this one Take, also take with a pile of salt, but there's rumblings from a Brazilian journalist who may or may not know what he's talking about that the new Switch might actually be called the Super Switch, opposed to the Switch Pro as an an homage to the Super Nintendo, because, uh, it's the 30th anniversary of the Super Nintendo this year. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I feel about, like, let's, let's, it, whether or not it's true, it seems plausible, because, like, Nintendo likes doing throwback stuff, and it's a good 90s nostalgia thing, and that's what's in right now. I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like that implies a um, successor system. Like not an iteration but an actual sequel. Because like the NES to Super Nintendo was an actual generational jump. So I feel like if you go switch to Super Switch, that implies a jump. So if they are going to do that and it's just an iterative update, I think that actually signals that Nintendo might not do a proper Switch 2. They might just keep doing iterative updates. Which yeah, is an interesting would, concept for a game console.
1: It would be cool and I'm not opposed to them like, you know, deciding that you know, we're starting we're thinking of the Switch as a new starting point and let's just perfect and evolve this design over time. But you so which in my personal like wish list dream canon, like we would just keep get, we would just keep seeing better versions of this, I guess both handheld and docked console that will continue to have the backwards compatibility but just keep getting better in other ways you know over mm-hmm. time we would expect the technology to get more powerful in handheld mode or maybe be like still a generation two behind but i don't know i think that'd be cool just yeah and it Same seems like like and it makes sense for it nintendo it seems like the
0: industry's yeah and it's basically mirroring how iphones are updated like yeah there's new ones that have new specs and they're always like super like oh look what this can do and now it has this screen now it has that but all the stuff still kind of runs on the old one. It's, it's basically the PC gaming approach of just iterative, you know. And and they're already training people to the idea that your game will run differently on your Switch. They've been training them for that since 2017 because you know they had uh, docked mode, undocked mode, different performances for each. You could go into preferences for some games to choose performance over not. You know, like the cloud games. Like they're sort of building up this mentality of okay, there's different ways you could play your games. They work across everything. But you can optimize yourself a bit if you want, and you know if they were to do Super Switch and just have it be iterative, and then do I guess a Switch sixty four, like a Switch Cube, or a Switch with we in the tch Like if they were to just kind of go down that path of each Switch is still a Switch, but just making the moves forward. Like that could, I feel like that could work. I feel like Xbox, if anyone, is laying the groundwork for that on their end with you know the Series S and the Series X and all that, but. it'll be interesting
1: but yeah because i i don't know it would seem weird to just like have the generation bsb the series x have it still last to five actually no not even it hasn't even been five to six years lately for the other
0: consoles i feel like yeah they've been what seven to eight six to seven something like that i think 2013 to 2020 was um was the last batch yeah but and and that's the thing is nintendo's gone record that they think the switch still has a lot of life in it they don't they think it's going to last longer than a normal generation for them, which is about five years. Um So the iterative idea m- makes more and more sense as you think about it. I don't know, again, if the Super Switch rumor is true. It's some Brazilian journalist. But the the idea of an era of switch that kind of spun out of that is certainly an interesting one. And I, I don't think I'd be opposed. I think the one thing they need to do if they do that, though, is they definitely need to figure out how to fix the Joy-Con drift issue. They can't keep iterating on the same thing with the same controller. Like, you know, when they updated the switch with the new battery they left the joy con issue two years in and now what's happening is it's this growing groundswell of problems i mean for me i still have my drifting joy con because i see my pro controller now and um it's getting worse but in terms of the sheer number of cases, it's getting worse. I mean, over in Europe, there's been 25,000 complaints filed with the EU's consumer program, which is called the European Consumer Organization or something like that. B-E-U-C? I don't know what the B stands for, though. Um, but anyway, 88% of those complaints said the issue occurred within two years of a Switch purchase, uh, which now means the group is actually considering a real investigation and potential action against Nintendo for what they, uh, deem to be early obsolescence, which is very much a thing. It's what Apple got hooked for when its battery, uh, throttling behavior on iPhones was happening through software and the EU got pretty mad at them about that. So Switch owners, you know, uh, complained directly to Nintendo didn't light a fire under them for a fix and instead they just said for a call on their president be like, sorry gang. Like maybe the EU actually threatening real action like they took against Apple will cause a fix even if it doesn't, I just hope whatever the next switch is, they actually address it because it's getting a little ridiculous. Like you can't have a system. They're going to do like area of updates and have this thing last for 10 years. You can't eight years in. So like, Oh yeah, we never fixed the joy con problem. Like it's, it's absurd. So hopefully, hopefully whatever shape the switch Pro takes, hopefully they at least address that. And maybe some 4k would be nice, but mostly the joy. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess we'll see. We will see. But, um, total left turn here kevin you had something you wanted to bring up right uh mario 64 speed run record
2: uh i i i think it was just in general mario 64 speedrunning sure yeah um so recently a speedrunner who goes by cheese beat the world record in mario 64's 120 star leaderboard i didn't see the run yeah. but i just saw the the clip of him where, like, he, he gets his time, and man, does he lose it when he gets the gets the time. Um, he beat a speedrunner who goes by Simply, and when Simply beat the record last year, he actually beat it by, like, a whole 20 seconds. Cheese barely beat out Simply's record by two seconds. Um, oh, wow. Um, yeah. If you, if you guys watch the clip, even Cheese has no idea w- whether he's going to beat it or tie it or just lose it, because that's just how close he got. Um, so like I mentioned, simply took the world record last year and when he beat it, it was followed by what is considered the most wholesome moment in Twitch history. I don't know if you guys ever saw that video.
0: I don't think so. Did he tell his mom? What happened? Is it the one where he told his mom?
2: Yeah, exactly. So it was a couple minutes after the run ended and his mom walked in the room like off screen. And he was teary-eyed because, you know, he he just achieved a, a lifelong dream of his, of, of grabbing oh, this totally. record. Yeah. And, like, yeah. she asks him, what happened? Why are you crying? And he tells her, I got the record. And immediately, like, she yells to her husband, he got the world record. And they both come in and they both give him a hug. Simply, he gets emotional again. And, like, this is all being live streamed, too, to, like, thousands yeah. of people. It was, like, a very touching scene, seeing parents being very supportive for her. You know, a thing as trivial as the world record for Mario sixty four, um, but now that he's lost it, he's absolutely going to reclaim the title. He he congratulated Cheese, uh, I believe. Cheese had the world record for a while, then was beaten by some guy named Liam, uh, who I caught a little bit of his world record run, and then simply took over. Uh, but now simply is is obviously gonna gonna try and reclaim the title. And yesterday, I actually saw one of his like very first few attempts since losing the title. And my God, he didn't reclaim the world record, but if he were to like post up his time, it would have been within 10th place. And even in that run, my mind just can't comprehend the amount of precision required to perform some of these moves that they do. And just like how surgical these button and joystick inputs must be. Um, because like anybody in the speedrunning community knows that any wrong move that can cost you seconds might just be enough to end an entire run. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. have ever tried speedrunning anything.
0: No, I am uh, definitely afraid to try it.
1: <laughs> Nothing super serious. Like the closest thing, um, just like maybe a casual speedrun. Like, yeah, like like the closest thing I got to, I guess, like trying to perfect something was um speedrunning New Super Mario Brothers for the Wii. Like I. I remember doing that a lot in college. I think oh they would have beat the whole game in under twenty no. Well like they clicked it a little under thirty minutes or something like that. And right. I just had like the whole path I, I don't know. It, it was fun. I wish I could do more of that kind of stuff.
2: But, yeah, so yeah. um most of the speedrunners will be using a program that'll show them whether they are making good or bad time between like various checkpoints they make. Have you guys ever seen like an entire speedrun?
1: No, yeah, I've, not
0: I've entire watched, one, but I have
1: I watched a few. <laughs> I feel like if they're under like two hours, I'll probably watch the whole thing. Like probably right. like something I just have like playing while I'm doing playing on else. the side or something. Yeah, yeah, but I do love seeing like you know the like their estimated completed time. How it has like a bunch of different little categories, or I guess like mm-hmm. milestones where oh yeah, yeah they're, they're, like, where you, have mouse, have you have to get to the key. You have to get to like key. You know, it just has like abbreviations for. Right. Like the section, like or like second key, first
2: jump, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Boss one or whatever.
1: And I, 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 I can imagine that be stressful.
2: Yeah. The psychological toll that it must take on a speedrunner to be like, man, I can still make any lost time. Or, like, oh man, this run is dead. Am I just wasting mm-hmm. time at this point by continuing? It's nothing that I think would be able, that I'd be able to take, like, alongside making perfect jumps or flips. Um, and even if you are making great time, you can absolutely still get in your head. Like, I can make a mistake. Like, I, I can be, like, 30 seconds ahead of, of, like, a milestone. And then I'm like, okay, I can make a mistake or two, and then that'll just snowball into an avalanche of mistakes, which then just kills the entire run. But man, and that... I mean
0: on a small scale, that happens with me with time trials and like Mario Kart or something. Oh yeah, I'm absolutely. In like those, absolutely. Like, and time trials I'm are sloppy a form of speed running, in general. Sure. So like I'm just sloppy with how I play things. So like yeah, like I props to them that they're able to get in that zone and be that precise. Like I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, exactly. Um
2: and like and, and time trials are absolutely a, a certain form of speed running too um to a degree. But uh mm. Man, in that run that I watched, simply was off by two minutes. And this was one of his very first few tries. And I think he's going to dedicate all of February to learning new strats and just trying to perfect, perfect his moveset. And then in March, go for the, the title again. So I like, I'm very much looking forward to that. But like on the opposite side of the speedrunning spectrum... I've also been watching a streamer who goes by Miskiff, who is actually Simply's roommate. Or I guess more like Simply is Miskiff's roommate. Um, hmm. But this guy pretty much just started speedrunning the 70 star runs for Mario 64. Uh, because if you don't know, 70 stars is the minimum amount of stars needed to beat Mario 64 without using some strange or hard to replicate glitch. Uh, hmm. That being said, the both. Both the uh, 70 and 120 runs do use glitches, and on this podcast, I've been less than favorable to speedruns that use glitches, but at least with the 70 stars, like, 70 stars is, is you know, the de facto number I mean, of stars that you need to They're still so separated by category,
1: game. right? Like, like, don't they have a, like, 100%, like, I guess, clean run, which is, like, no glitches allowed versus one that, I guess, anything goes, basically?
2: So, speedrun.com currently has four categories, which is 0-star, 1-star, 60... Okay, never mind. It's 0, 1, 16, 70, and 120. And I think those are all using glitches. Yeah, I don't think... I'm I'm not too sure if they do have a category for... Yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, I I guess that's more depending on the game. Because I know there's some games like Portal that... If you look at the speedrunning categories, I think there's one that either allows you to break through the wall than one that has you go through every single puzzle, because the difference yeah. is literally, like, you know, it would be, like, a five-minute run versus, like, an hour or something. So
2: yeah, exactly. No point I'm, in I'm personally them. more invested... Yeah, I'm, I'm personally more invested in the, the ones where they do go through the levels, at least, and not just try to literally <laughs> beat the game it's as cool fast seeing, like, as possible the... by clipping through stuff. Yeah,
1: it's definitely more fun just to see, like, the fast reaction time to solving all these puzzles, like... Oh, it's it's cool.
2: Where you know, yeah,
1: glitches. Like, depending on the game, it could be interesting. But sometimes I, I feel like it isn't. It's like oh, you just get mm-hmm. to the end. All right.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um. So, anyways, Misgive just started the seventy-star runs, and I don't think he's aiming to be the number one. Uh, but watching him slowly make progress on his personal best is a very fun thing to watch. He himself is a very divisive streamer because of his type of humor. It's not for everybody. He's He kind of leans on the more edgier side. But his Mario speedruns do give some insight as to what I imagine a lot of speedrunners start off with. Um, because he's not a pro. He's constantly making mistakes. He's constantly restarting if anything is off towards the beginning of the runs. Like, I believe in Super Mario 64, you you know how you come out of the pipe... You run to the castle and you're stopped by Lakitu. He's like, yeah. "Oh, I'm gonna be your cameraman," so you can completely skip that part by uh, by long jumping on like the side of the bridge that leads to the castle, and like he will just he will get that maybe fifty percent of the time, and sometimes you know he'll just be like, "Okay, whatever, I'll make this up later," or sometimes he'll just like restart, and <laughs> you know it's it's just all about that practice. Um, <laughs> But then there are multiple times where his chat will be telling him, oh, this is a dead run, this is a dead run, this is a dead run. And he'll just tell them, like, shut up, chat, I know I can do it. And then, you know, at the end of it, he'll shave off a few seconds off his personal best in the end. Um, like, you'll see him struggle with some areas, and then a few streams later, he'll just have those areas down to a T. So you're at least seeing progress there, as opposed to Simply or Cheese, who have these movesets nailed down as perfectly as possible, you know, they, they'll they still mess up a little thing, but but their mistakes are more like, they unlocked the star, and they're just off by, like, a couple centimeters, so when the star lands, they still have to jump up to, you know, get the star, you know? That's, those are their mistakes. With mischief, it's more like, he needs to do a, a wall jump that, he just has to keep doing over and over and over to to achieve
0: a start, you know? Um
2: It's kinda like, like a
0: peek behind the curtain of how speedrunning works. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, which is actually pretty cool. It's kinda like, you know, people that like to go watch teams practice as opposed to play. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. Um Yeah. But like aside from that yeah. Oh, go
1: ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say like if like if you want to watch like more speedruns, like I know I've mentioned this before, probably in QC, but I really recommend Watching a series of videos, I forget the name of the channel, but if you just type, like, Sonic Adventure 2 speedrun progression, and they just kind of go over, like, the history of, like, when the records were B, when certain, like, new techniques were found that blew the game wide open, and, like, I, I don't know, I, I love, like, just watching those, especially when you hear, like, the stories, and you see, like, some of the reactions of someone who's, like, down, like, a couple sec, like, ten seconds or something, it's like, oh, man, like, I'm not gonna make it, and then... Like, at some point, like, in the Sonic Adventure 2 speedrun, I guess, meta, they found a, like, Gear Factory skip, and then so people were abusing that skip, but then this other person, they went for something riskier, which was, I guess, the Gear Factory skip skip, where they, I guess, skip that section of the skip, so that it just skipped even further, but it's, like, mm-hmm. one of the hardest things to pull off, and, like, they managed to do it, and, I don't know, it's super hype stuff, definitely, you know, and they just kind of cut to the good stuff. Yeah, it's definitely good like, thing. that that
0: honestly much. sounds the most my speed of all these is like because I can you know I've seen like some. Gonna have a narrator like so it's explaining and everything. Exactly, yeah. And everything. Like I could see someone glitching through and be like, I don't understand how they're doing it, but it looks crazy. But to be like, all right, so then they discovered like almost like a documentary about like how it came to it, be. It literally is. sounds really cool. because yeah.
1: sometimes you do need to hear like this is really hard to do because otherwise, you know, like when speedrunners do it, they make it look easy. It looks like it happens in the first try, but. Then you have when you've learned that it's like, oh, they have to have like pixel perfect placement for these things right, or blah right. blah blah. It's like damn. like it
0: lets you appreciate it on a different level. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: uh, I see yeah. what you did. Huh, that was intentional. Uh, like like
2: <laughs> speaking of level, um, these speedruns have shown me more than anything just what a goddamn fantastic game Super Mario sixty four is. Like, these 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 streams have given me a newfound appreciation for the game and while i'm watching them i catch myself constantly saying man i understand why this is one of the most important games of all time like the mm-hmm. way just seeing the way that these people break the level design or even just use the levels in such creative ways to get around like the skip i i, I don't remember the you everybody knows the the snow level from super mario 64 with the uh, penguins yeah. like the just adorable seeing how, penguins yeah just seeing how there's there's that star where you have to get the baby down to its mother. And you know, if if you're playing Super Mario 64 just normally, that that can take what any anywhere up to 10 minutes. And just seeing these people do it in 5 seconds without necessarily glitching through anything, they're just using right. the environment to to get down there. It's it's insane. Um yeah. Yeah, it, it's something. I'll, I'm definitely going to be following the the 64 speedrun community much closer than
0: I ever have because. It's, so, it's is it going to make watch. you? Is it going to make you pick up uh, 3D All Stars and play some Mario 64 yourself?
2: Uh, it, it maybe, but not <laughs> to speedrun it. Maybe just to replay right. it. I, That's I, what I mean. Yeah, I have been thinking of like, man, I wonder if there's any game where I have enough memory and. That I'm good enough to speed run. I honestly can't think of anything. The closest that I came up to was Bloodborne, but man, even I'm still pretty bad at that game. If I were to do like a Mario sixty four speed run, I guess my my only goal would be beating the seventy star run in under an hour. But man, that's I, I was looking at the leaderboard, and I believe all the people that got it under an hour was like first to four hundred and seventieth on that on that leaderboard. So that's how insane it is. Right, right. Yeah. But uh yeah, that's just a little, you should, just you a little try. part you of the try. No Oh man. <laughs> and it I, it's, no it is very tempting. I, I don't know maybe, maybe just maybe, start maybe, small. Maybe just stream. start like know.
0: trying to exploit some stuff on one or two levels and then kinda of build up your skill set
2: no yeah absolutely and that's and that's what some of these people are doing um right where they will just they'll go through the game and they'll they'll perfect one part of it it was like okay now let me try to perfect that one part and go on to the next level and then just, just or or they'll just skip later on uh later on in the game just, you know tick tock clock Is it called tick tock mm. yeah i like, think so that yeah. that seems like a pain in the ass dude just seeing <laughs> some of these wall jumps, wall bounces, some of these flips that they're doing, it's like, oh man, I don't think I have it in me. But uh who knows? It's it's some it's something that I I do constantly bounce around in my head,
0: but it's such know. a like fascinating like subculture of gaming. Because, you know, like I, I name drop games done quick, but there's like whole like communities around this where there's like fundraisers, and all sorts of stuff. And it's, oh, like yeah, it's absolutely. just like this little thing inside gaming. It's really, it's cool that games become so big and so diversified that like there are these like subsets that in and of themselves, you know, the fighting game community is another one. But in and of themselves are so big while still being so small in the bigger picture. You know what Yeah, I mean? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think unless you have anything else about speedrun, I think we have one more topic to cover before we go, which is a bit of a eulogy actually. Um, was there anything else you want to say about SB Ring? No, I'm, 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 I'm semi All right, then on to the eulogy for, uh, Vicarious Visions, who have been a long-time supporter of Nintendo and have released many a game for its platforms, but, uh, it was announced a week or two ago, I think a week ago Friday, it was a Friday news dump, that, um, Vicarious Visions as we know it, which was an Activision- studio is now being moved into the blizzard side of activision but they will no longer be a lead studio meaning they no longer will get their name on the box and no longer will be in charge of development they will instead be a support studio meaning that they will uh kind of be in the background as i don't want to say as code monkeys but you know like doing stuff in the background without getting credit uh to help with blizzard team one projects it sounds like and the rumor is they're going to do a diablo 2 remake so they're still doing you know, remakes and reboots and that sort of thing, which is what they more, most recently are known for, Tony Hawk, Pro Scare 1 Plus 2, and Crash Insane Trilogy. But they, I mean, they, to me, I know Kevin, you had some thoughts on this, but just to give people a little background, Vicarious Visions always have been very close to Nintendo because what they did is they were very good at adapting things to work in different ways ways and to be really excellent at wherever they were so they took tony hawk and made it work on game boy advance they took guitar hero and made it work with the wii they're the ones that engineered the whole like wii mote inside the guitar they made it work on the ds that weird like guitar thing you plugged into the game boy advance slot uh they took oh, I spyro here on tour it, i love that game yeah it's uh it's it's cr- angel you had it too didn't you
1: oh yeah it was really really great it felt good to play really fun yeah and Pretty they right they,
0: the they uh they, if you could find it at this point, but yeah, they did that. They retrofitted Spyro from being, you know, Spyro the Dragon into offs. Skylanders. Book off, book off. I, I oh, always I thought, see Oh I yeah, yeah, on. yeah. That's true. Like a used copy. So if you if you guys are in the uh, Torrance, California area, <laughs> there's a. It's probably at the book off at Del Amo Mall. Um, but yeah, they they did Skyland uh Spyro into Skylanders. They more recent more recently, as I was saying, did the remix. So you know, classic ps1 and 64 era games into modern games with online features and whatnot and they're just very good at adapting things and they really cut their teeth doing that and then blizzard's like you guys are awesome good job with tony hawk uh now we're gonna absorb you completely which kind of sucks because they were one of the few studios within the activision umbrella i feel like that had a name made a name for themselves like that didn't and now they are going the way of Be and um uh what's the one and raven software where instead of being their own thing they're just sort of playing second fiddle for other people's ips in a way that is different than what they did before where they got to cut you know turn an ip into their own thing
2: and don't get me wrong they they were also um i believe they worked on the pc version of destiny 2 so You know, they have been delegated to second fiddle every now and then, but not in Mm -hmm. this way that they are now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very bummed out. Because, me, mainly because Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, the remake, I think is just a fantastic game, and it's a perfect example of how you exactly remake a game, and now they... You know they they put out this this critical and commercial success, and now to be basically as you said, delegate, rele- what delegated, re- relegated,
0: delegated, or re- relegated. Re- Either word depends relegated on what the rest of your right? sentence is. Relegated
2: to this sort of, I guess he they they, they sound more like second party at this point to to Blizzard. Yeah. Um. It's very disappointing. and not even in
0: a way, not even in a second party way that like next level games is now second party to Nintendo, where you know they bought them and they're like we're gonna boost up what you do and you gotta keep your studio and keep your name. Like they, I think dissolved Vicarious Visions essentially. Yeah, I mean they're I, still there, but like the head of VV is now like part of the Blizzard exec team or something. Yeah, which good uh, for that one person, but the rest of them, their credit's not. You know they're losing their credit.
2: Yeah, and, and don't get me don't get me wrong. I'm sure that the team will stay together. Um, but just that they can't be vicarious visions anymore is very, very Yeah. Like I don't know, how do you how do you explain that if you're trying to get another job It's like, Oh, I used to be pre vicarious and now I'm Blizzard and <laughs> Blizzard hasn't been doing so hot now nowadays, so I mean I guess people like the new World of Warcraft expansion, but it's not like they're even working on that. They're Jason Trier is saying that they're they're doing Diablo too, so who knows how that'll go.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because like there's apparently there's been rumblings that like Team One at Blizzard, which is, like their you know their main team, has been having a lot of problems. So besides them doing Diablo two, I imagine Vicarious is going to be helping out with cleaning up some of that because they are such a good st- you know they're about two hundred people or something and they and they cranked out Tony Hawk and they cranked out Crash and like they're I think those franchises can live on just fine with other studios. I mean, Crash Insane Trilogy was Vicarious Vision, but then Crash Four was Toys for Bob. And Tony Hawk 1 and 2, you know, originally Tony Hawk was never soft. That got absorbed by Activision in a similar way way back in the day. Um, and then Tony Hawk was handed to Vicarious Visions, and now Tony Hawk can be handed to someone else. You know, uh, Toys for Bob has experience with Tony Hawk. They did – granted, it was Downhill Jam, but they're familiar with the IP. Uh, I, I, I remember you telling you know, you me
2: can... that, like, oh, Toys for Bob can take over. And I was like, Toys for Bob worked on – and then I saw it was Downhill Jam. I was like, oh, yeah. god, no. They, they are yeah. kind of like the, – they're kind of like the last – people that I want to
0: but they did a good job of Crash Four and they had no real Yes, for that. The,
2: so. But specifically the thing with Tony Hawks one and two is you've had people who I guess I'll just say their name and I'm sorry if anybody who, who worked there is listening to this, but Robomoto tried to recreate Tony Hawk with uh the H D remake and oh, five yeah. and those were both terrible and I feel like True like Vicarious put in all this work to get the feel of the game so right and I'm pretty sure they got input from Neversoft uh, from some Neversoft devs well, as well. Left. Yeah, yeah, and now they're, you know, they're now gonna they're make... Blizzard. Yeah, it's like, it, it, and, like it and you know,
0: it could be like it could be one of those things where maybe they'll slap the VV logo on Diablo 2's remake and it's like, okay, this is really not much different than what they did with Tony Hawk or with Crash but it's just the way they discussed it how they're being dissolved and how they're becoming like a support team and it just yeah it felt it felt weird given how especially in the Nintendo world Vicarious Visions was one of those outside devs that was just really tight knit with like interwoven with like the Nintendo history like G- Guitar Hero on Wii was such a big thing like s- specifically on Wii was such a huge thing and that was all Vicarious Visions and you know yeah. Tony Hawk was like such a graphical showcase for Game Boy Advance and That was all Vicarious Visions. And it just, you know, look what you can do on a 2D, 32-bit system. Surprise, it's actually fake 3D. Look at that. Isn't that neat? Like, you know, and that was at launch. Tony Mark Pro Skater 2 was with the Game Boy Advance within a month of it coming out. And it just, yeah, it just kind of sucks to see that someone that closely tied to Nintendo sort of just evaporate into thin air. The uh, silver lining, though, is everything that VV did up until I think when they started doing crash and tony hawk so all the weird stuff like all the like making tony hawk work on game boy making guitar hero work skylanders the people that were in charge of the studio at that time left the studio and actually formed a studio called valon studios which you may recognize the name of out there people listening because that is the mario kart live team so the spirit of Icarus visions up until the hd remakes at least uh lives on in Valen Studios and is even closer to Nintendo now. So if you prefer like historic Vicarious Visions, that's gonna go on and actually they yeah, it's like a very sweet ending for those guys. If you like the entire history of Vicarious Visions up through the remakes, which I feel like did capture spirit of what they always did, which was adaptations to a different you know, in a different way, um, that's kinda gone. But at least like the physical, like crazy stuff they did early on can kind of live on. So there is a little silver lining to it. But it's still, yeah, it still sucks for those two hundred people at current Vicarious. Yep. Unless they secretly really wanted to work at Blizzard, in which case they somehow stumbled into (laughs) into Into, exactly their dream. It's (laughs) it's like, wait, what? I get to work with the Overwatch team now and Jeff Kaplan. It's. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, there's been like a talent bleed at Blizzard. There's a couple studios that opened around it in Irvine, and apparently a lot of folks are leaving Blizzard and going to those. Yeah, because um, like I said, you
2: know. the, it, it sounds like Activision is mm-hmm. being a little overbearing with them, and not everybody in Blizzard is
0: liking that. Yeah, which, you know, to be fair, everyone predicted Activision would kind of do this to Blizzard when they first bought it. They waited a long time before they actually started messing up Blizzard. Like, it took yeah, a while to much. get there, but yeah. But yeah, so... uh Pouring out for vicarious visions, I guess, um, and I, I think that I think we'll end it and here we're I out think for this episode. Topics. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I hope everyone listening enjoyed our kind of meandering stuff about music games and co-op games and freaking Balan Wonderworld. Um, our next episode will arrive on Valentine's Day, and it's going to include all the news from Nintendo's holiday sales financial report, which you know, uh-huh. give my well documented. Given my well-documented love affair with sales numbers, it's fitting that would be the Valentine's Day episode. But uh, also, it's three D Mario, uh, Mario three D World launch weekend. We, you know, Apex Legends may be out on Switch by then, and who knows what else. So it will be more than just numbers. I, I think Persona Strikers
2: will be out by then, but it's I think it comes out on the twelfth. So
0: yeah, I mean, three D World comes out on the twelfth too. So realistically, I don't know if we're gonna talk three D World. Oh, never mind. The Actually, no. Hurt, so, I, no. I t- you guys don't get. I take that back. I will strikers. probably have bowser's fury impressions next episode and i i definitely if apex if the rumors come true that apex is out this week i definitely on to, to talk about that personally um yeah so to make sure you don't miss um those guaranteed sales numbers and those mysterious and more topics that may or may not include bowser's fury and apex uh you can subscribe to us and on all the podcast apps we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're at YouTube. Our channel is RamNintendo.com. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, at RamNintendo. I recommend you do those to also ensure that you don't miss any of our Quarantine chronicle sub-shows, the next of which will be this coming weekend before RamNintendo comes back on Valentine's Day. So, yeah, I think that does it. Uh, I am JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O on Twitter. Kevin is KVN Gomi on Twitter. And yeah, Kevin, final word?
2: Vicarious Visions, it was nice knowing you. Rest in peace, my friend.